1: Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive?
1: I'd say the funniest one that I thought was, they said I run like I bite people. Like, I ain't no zombie. Like, that was crazy. So that was one of the funniest ones. You said I run like I bite the ground, bite the grass, and that's crazy. So it's a a great opinion, I guess, to have uh, on the way I run. Uh, For me, it's just um, being determined and understanding um, that I have a goal to achieve and and we want to get the job done. Isaiah Pacheco,
0: a guy who runs with an anger, with a violence, with a will to gain as many yards as possible and really adds something to the Kansas City offense, great balance to the passing game. He will be a, a big part of, the, of the, uh, the offense. And he said yesterday when, when people say he runs like he's biting people, his quote was, I ain't no zombie. So, uh he uh, at least we now know. We can take his word for it. <coughs> he is not in fact a zombie Peter.
2: You know, I kind of wish he were a zombie. You want to know why? I would really like to see a zombie play football in the NFL. It would be fun. It would bring a <laughs> new <laughs> angle, a new bunch be- of fans. <laughs> Mike, you know what would happen? You know what would happen? There would have to be a section in the stadium of Joe Zombie. Okay? There would have to be a section in that stadium where it would all be like zombies and and whoever else. Whoever else worships the zombie. It, 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 would, it would be great for the NFL. It's like Taylor Swift in 23. Hey, Zombie Nation come in in 24. It's great. But... You know, Mike, I was going to tell you about Isaiah Pacheco. (laughs) So being around Kansas City quite a bit, poor segue, but being around Kansas City quite a bit this year, you know, this occurs to me. And, and, And I'm going to take you back in time to November 5th in Frankfurt, Germany. I think I said this on this show the following week, but on that day, I don't know if you remember, but on that day, on the field, I interviewed Mahomes for NBC, and we used a clip or two, I guess, in football night. I didn't see it, but we used yes, it in we football did. night. How dare you? And then, How dare you I, not watch it? Well, I, well, I, it's not on I in Frankfurt. Sorry. I, uh, I, no, but, I, but anyway, <laughs> so I go into the locker room, this little – you know, it's, it's funny. The locker room's in uh, – in Germany, quite honestly, they're like locker rooms for a soccer team because that's who plays there. So not the biggest lockers, not the biggest rooms. So it's pretty crowded in there. But when the locker room was open, I made a beeline for Mahomes and I just wanted to say, hey, thanks for uh, hanging around and doing that with me after the game. And the first thing he said was, I can't believe you're here. Uh, And the second thing was, hey, listen, I meant what I said. We will get this offense right. I can promise you. I mean, we weren't on camera. I didn't have my notebook out. I mean, it's not like that's off the record or anything great. But I just remember the look in his eye. We will fix this. Because that day, they only scored 14 points and won, basically, because of a, uh, a defensive touchdown. So... My only point is, Patrick Mahomes has known the whole year, whatever it takes, we're going to do. And as we get to this point of the season, you know what it takes? Isaiah Pacheco. That's what it takes. And Isaiah Pacheco, I think I'm right in saying, he's had 39 carries the last two weeks, far above his average per game this year. But but I, I the only reason that I mention all of this... Is that Isaiah Pacheco, Andy Reid, and Patrick Mahomes have something in common. Phil Simms once said to me, entering the, I think the 86 season, when I mentioned to him, like, man, your numbers went way down from throwing for 4,000 to throwing for whatever he did, 2,900, and he goes, Peter, I don't give a bleep about stats, and and. Patrick Mahomes doesn't give a bleep about stats either. I can tell you. And he only cares what is the right thing. What is the right piece of... uh, How do we use every person in this offense to the max? And right now, they are going to feature Isaiah Pacheco. And look, they're going up against a really good run defense. Really good. But I guarantee you, Isaiah Pacheco and his zombie running style, his angry running style, the Ravens are going to have to stop that on Sunday.
0: Isaiah Pacheco has 75 or more yards from scrimmage in his five career playoff games. He can tie Walter Payton for the fourth longest streak in league history of 75-plus scrimmage yards in playoff games by a running back to begin a career on Sunday against the Ravens. And the reality with the Chiefs, and look, they, they finally got it figured out, as of Christmas Day, 1 month and 1 day ago they looked horrible. It's almost like they were trying to will themselves into being the Chiefs of past years by doing the trick plays and the gadget stuff and they got embarrassed at home by the Raiders on a day that they thought was going to be a celebration, not not a defeat to a division rival that they are better than or at least, you know, man for man, player for player, talent for talent, they were better. They should have won that game. But it's all about getting it together at the right time. They didn't get it together soon enough to have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. But they did get it together soon enough to win playoff games, to go to Buffalo and win. And that Mahomes mindset in the postseason, he's aware of his legacy. He's trying to catch Tom Brady. He's, he's got a calm to him. They have a tremendous amount of playoff experience. Isaiah Pacheco running harder than usual in the postseason. We see that. We see certain players elevate. And Chiefs have players who, who rise to the occasion. That's why they're a dangerous opponent for the Ravens. This week, and that's why they'll be dangerous in the Super Bowl if they get there. They find a higher level of overall performance when it's time to play single elimination games. And we see it from Pacheco, who doesn't. I mean, he has moments. He's a great player during the regular season. But in the postseason, he finds something more. There's a greater degree of want to. There's a greater ability to thrive under pressure-packed circumstances. Some teams will, will, will get stiff. Some teams will be too aware in a bad way. They're aware in a good way. They know this is their chance to go take it, and that's why it's it's hard to doubt the Chiefs in this setting, even though they are playing the best team in the league in their own building. I, and I think the
2: other part of this is, Mike, look, we have not talked about the games last week, but I have a very, very firm opinion, and I'm going to bring this around. I I won't go on a diatribe, but... I have a very firm opinion about the Kansas City-Buffalo uh, game, which I covered, and, and that opinion is this. If you're watching that game and saying that Josh Allen has a fatal flaw and he'll never win the big one and he'll never la-di-da-di-da, I mean, you just don't know what you're talking about. You, you know, go sit on the sidelines, please. Josh Allen played for 58 minutes an absolutely marvelous game. Now, he made two throws at the end, two, that he said shouldn't make those throws, especially at this moment. You need to move the chains. You need to move the clock. You need to do something to get a couple more first downs so that you could be at the 10-yard line and let Tyler Bass try to make this kick with 10 seconds to go or or you know try to win it in regulation. Either way. But don't leave Kansas City a minute 43 or whatever it is, you know, they were going to leave him. Okay, so, but be that as it may, be that as it may. My whole point about this is Kansas City is not always, not always, they, they weren't against Joe Burrow, and, you know, there have been times where they haven't. Josh Allen's beaten Patrick Mahomes three times. But Kansas City usually is the team that is left standing. You know why? Because they don't make those big mistakes down the stretch. And that, to me, is something that if you're Baltimore this weekend, and if you're John Harbaugh, if you're Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator, if you're Mike McDaniel, the defensive coordinator, you got to have it in your head. Don't be satisfied with anything in the last two minutes, unless you've got a three-score lead at the two-minute warning then you can start to be a little bit satisfied because they are going to do something. They're going to figure out some way, Kansas City, to have a chance at the end because of that coaching staff and because of that quarterback to be able to come back at the end of the game. I'm not saying they will. I'm not saying anything. But I trust Patrick Mahomes at the end of a game unlike any other quarterback I've ever seen other than Tom Brady. So... That is what I think the Baltimore Ravens really have to be careful of as they head into this sort of uncharted waters. As I wrote in my column the other day, Mike, the crazy thing, the crazy, crazy thing about this football game is the Baltimore Ravens or that a Baltimore team will host the AFC championship game this weekend for the first time since the first AFC championship game. In January of 1971, when, by the way, a quarterback from the University of Louisville, Johnny Unitas, brought Baltimore to the Super Bowl. Now, another quarterback from the University of Louisville is playing the first home
0: championship game since then, attempting to take his team to the Super Bowl. That's a good nugget. I like that. The Louisville connection between Unitas and Lamar Jackson. And, of course, the Colts would go on to win the Super Bowl that year thanks to Jim O'Brien, who wore number 88, kicking a game-winning field goal to deliver victory in Super Bowl V over the Dallas Cowboys. Now, Peter, I like what you said about the Bills down the stretch. I think that this is part of your opposition overall when you're facing the Chiefs in the playoffs. You can't let yourself get freaked out or second-guess who you are or what you do because you're afraid of Patrick Mahomes with the ball in his hands, and the Bills are the prime example of it because look what happens with 13 seconds left. They drive down the field and they get a field goal and they force overtime and then they beat you. My own theory is that in the final couple of minutes of the game, when there was four minutes left and the Bills were moving, they had a plan that they were going to do everything they could to milk the clock down to the very end, have a walk-off field goal or a touchdown with – with hardly any time left. And at the two-minute warning, something flipped. It reminded me of when Tony Dungy spent two weeks saying, we can't kick the Devin Hester, we can't kick the Devin Hester. And then the night before, he said, screw it, we're kicking the Devin Hester. And he, he returned it for a touchdown to start the game. I think on the sideline, they said, screw it. We're not going to reside in our fears. Let's go get a touchdown. Let's take the lead. Josh Allen throws it to the end zone. If he hadn't been hit just before he let go of the ball, it might have been a touchdown. And then the Chiefs have the ball back. The, the, my point is, you can kind of sense... <laughs> They're allowing themselves to be stra- distracted by this idea that the Chiefs are going to get you. You don't, When do you give the ball back to Mahomes? How much is too much? And I think at the two-minute warning, they just said, screw it. Let's not play this game. Let's not try to engineer this. Let's just go do what we do, and let's trust our defense to maybe make a stop. But if you let that thinking get into your head, it just makes it harder to do what you need to do, and the Ravens need to not even think about that, not be fearful of it. It helps they have no playoff history with the Chiefs. The Bills' playoff history with the Chiefs hurt them on Sunday, I believe. The Ravens don't have one. That could be the difference in not getting yourself all twisted up in your own thoughts and in your own fears if you're getting yourself into a late-game situation where you otherwise would be obsessed over how much time you're allowing Patrick Mahomes to go back and beat you. The Ravens can say, we got a defense. We can make a stop. We're not worried about that. Let's just go win the game.
2: You know, Mike, you... you I think
0: you're positively, absolutely
2: 100% right. And look, in the sort of mania of a post game, where what I'm thinking about is, okay, I've got to talk to this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. You don't necessarily sit down and and think about it a lot, okay? But I can just tell you, I can just tell you this, just tell you this that at the two-minute warning of this game, I thought to myself, the Bills have Kansas City right where they want them. Remember, at the two-minute warning, they're at the Kansas City 26-yard line. It's second and nine. Kansas City's got two timeouts left. And you know that if if the ball is downed bounds, either on a run or a pass play that Kansas City on the next two plays is going to use its timeouts so I start to think to myself okay you got two plays to make nine yards and make your nine yards get a first down and then do one of two things take a couple of safe shots or just get yourself in position at the 10-yard line. Get yourself in position and then basically tie the tie the game and go to overtime. But don't do anything stupid here. And I don't think necessarily that what they did was stupid. But there was a line of demarcation. And they changed their plan. I don't know how. I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why. But instead of continuing to try to bleed the clock, he took two shots in the end zone. I mean, and again, and again, Josh Allen, I credit him massively for the first 58 minutes of this game for so many things that he did right and 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 all that. I, I really do. But he has a couple of choices to make there. And he knows that, you know, a check down sometimes is your best friend. And he knows that An intermediate pass to the tight end sometimes is your best friend. And I just, I think he will think for a long time this offseason about the decisions that he made. And look, we're probably never going to know what exactly Joe Brady called in that specific case. And if his first option was, I think it was Shakir on one play in the end zone, and I forget who else it was. But he had two chances, and they just didn't make a first down. And I just, I remember thinking to myself, why are they doing this? But then you get into the mania of the game and, you know, the post-game nuthouse, and, and you don't really think about it. But I remember
0: thinking that as it was happening. <clears throat> Stephon Diggs running wide open, uncovered underneath. Throw him the ball on second and nine. He could possibly get the first down yeah. there. But, you know, I think, I think what happened, Peter, we need to take a break. But I think this is an important conversation because we hear this all the time. Now, we heard it from Sean McDermott after the game as it related to the ridiculous decision, in my opinion, to do a fake punt when you just leave Josh Allen out on the field at fourth and five. If you want to go for it on fourth and five, don't do a fake punt. Let Josh Allen try to throw for it or run for it if all else fails. What McDermott said is I was being aggressive, aggressive. We hear that all the time now. I'm just being aggressive. Sometimes you need to be strategic, not aggressive. And it felt like they were being strategic as the clock ticked under five minutes down to two. And then at the two minute warning, they decided we just want to be aggressive. Sometimes the aggressive thing to do is to be strategic, to believe, to have the confidence that you can cat and mouse this thing down to the final few seconds and keep Patrick Mahomes from getting the ball back and engineer the outcome your way you have to throw it to the end zone work your way down work your way down bleed the clock be strategic that's aggressive in the setting and I think they they thought they weren't going to be able to pull it off They hell with it let's just throw it to the end zone and let's trust our defense and it blew up on them and there was I think a dramatic sea change before and after the two-minute warning All right. We're going to change over to the NFC. When we return, Lions, 49ers. They met in the 1957 NFL championship game, and the Lions beat the 49ers. Here they are all these years later in the NFC championship game. We'll break it down next here on PFT Live. The 12th man, how important is the
1: 12th man to be We don't call him the 12th man here. Um, but our crowd's very important.
0: Kyle Shanahan, making sure that everybody realizes you live in San Francisco, not Seattle. We're not the 12th man. We just have, what do they call them? The faithful, I think is what they call them. But it is a hell of a home field advantage, and that's a difference. The Lions step out of, as you said earlier, it's amazing. It took us 20 years to recognize that Ford Field is a great home field advantage. It took the Lions 20 years to put a team there that the fans would get excited about. And it's not like they blew out either team. This is a huge difference for the Lions to take this show on the road, onto grass, in a hostile environment. All the things that worked for them are now going to be working for the 49ers probably one of the reasons why the 49ers are favored by seven and a half.
2: Mike, you said something earlier in the show. You said that Ben Johnson is likely the leader in the clubhouse or whatever word you use, and I totally agree with you. I think that there's a good chance he's going to get the job in Washington. I I don't know that it's a done deal, but I do think there's a good chance that he will be uh, teamed with someone who he really doesn't know well. We had would never worked with before in Adam Peters. And they will be the young, fresh-faced look uh, trying to rebuild for Josh Harris, this once-proud franchise. However, in the intervening time, let's talk for a second about the advantage that the Lions have going into San Francisco. And I have felt this way since about early December, late November, watching the Detroit Lions play football. Mike, one of the great advantages that Ben Johnson has as a play designer and a play caller is the absolute embarrassment of riches that he has on the offensive side of the ball. If you look at the running back position, he has got a meat and potatoes, Nick Chubb light back in David Montgomery. And then he's got... uh, a lightning running back in Jameer Gibbs, who is really one of the most exciting players in football. Then you look at the tight end. They've got you know Sam Laporta, and obviously they've added Zach Ertz. Who knows? Maybe he plays a little bit of a role in this game. But just remember, Zach Ertz has caught the winning touchdown pass in a Super Bowl before, and he is one of those guys who you never know. They might put him in for six plays, and he makes a play. And then you look at the wide receiver position, and everybody would say, man, you know, Jamison Williams, what a stud. And Amon Ross St. Brown, he is one of the great receivers in football, even though he was the 17th receiver picked in the draft just two and a half years ago. But I look at something else at the receiver position. I look at Josh Reynolds. I look at Donovan Peoples Jones, who I, I don't even, not even sure he's going to be active for the game, but I, I look at them and I look at Khalif Raymond and I look at all of these guys and I basically say, how are you going to cover them all? How are you going to account for all of them? And that is what I think has to be 49ers defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes's biggest issue coming into this game. We have to make sure that on some play, Khalif Raymond doesn't sneak out uncovered. He goes 75 yards for a touchdown. So that is one thing I would be really concerned with if I were the 49ers, that they have got seven or eight or nine playmakers on offense. And if you don't account for every one of them on every play, you could be left in the dust.
0: And then there's that balance, and it's a point that Chris Sims makes. If you try to blitz Jared Goff, they do a good job of picking it up, and then somebody becomes even more wide open. Goff finds him, and off that guy goes. You need to get the Lions into third and long and try to get to Goff with your front four. The front four in San Francisco, not quite as great as it's been in the past, but it was a very high bar in the past. You still have Nick Bosa. This is a game where Bosa needs to step up and harass Goff and get him to make mistakes. And I think one of the big factors in this game, Peter, which quarterback will make the most mistakes? We have seen both guys have stretches where it's not great. And you don't want to pick the worst day possible to have a bad day. Who do you trust more to not have a bad day on Sunday? Jared Goff or Brock Purdy? I
2: don't, Mike, I, I don't look at it. I, I mean, I don't think either one of them is going to have a bad day. I, I honestly don't. I think they're both going to play well. I know Brock Purdy is probably the best I've seen at tuning out the people who think he's a piece of crap, you know, which, you know, <laughs> I throw my hands in the air you
0: are a I, piece of crap, a piece of crap. I,
2: I throw my hands you sir in the air, are a piece quite of honestly. Crap. I throw my hands in the air at all these people who just say, oh my God, Brock Purdy. How are they going to win with Brock Purdy? I mean... Just go back and put on the tape of 49ers, 42, Dallas, 10. Put on the tape of 10 of his starts so far in his NFL career. But anyway, be that as it may, I think they're both going to play well. And I think the video we saw, the little grainy, I don't know what you'd call it, it just I think cell phone video that you saw from practice on Thursday of Debo Samuel running around free and... And using his arms, you wonder, geez, this is a guy whose shoulder is really messed up. Well, he looked pretty good running around on Thursday at practice. So, I mean, I shouldn't say this, but it's its virtually certain he's going to play in this game. And assuming he does play and he's somewhat healthy, he becomes a gigantic X factor for the 49ers. And I think both quarterbacks are going to come out of I think this could really be uh, an old-fashioned score fest. Uh, even though these are two defenses capable of playing really well, I think the diversity of targets for Jared Goff is one thing. The quality of targets and the and the efficiency of Brock Purdy, I, I just I think this could be a game that's played in the high twenties or thirties.
0: Well, and that would make it a great game. If both quarterbacks have great days, that makes for a greater likelihood of a high-scoring, exciting game down to the end. But we have seen both guys slip from time to time, and you just never know what's going to happen. The rain won't be an issue on Sunday like it was on Saturday night. That clearly was bothering Brock Purdy, although he got it together when the game was on the line, drove the 49ers down the field got the score, and Jordan Love was not able to answer. Goff is 0-5 in his last games against the 40 last five games against the 49ers with seven touchdowns and five interceptions. And he did have a little bit of a stretch there where he was a turnover machine. But they've they've settled that down. And that offense is very good. The 49ers offense is very good. Between the two, the 49ers defense is is better, but all that matters is are you winning in the postseason? And even though the Lions have been in a couple of close games, they They could have lost to the Rams. They won by eight. They covered the spread, but it still wasn't a blowout over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is going to be a tough test for both teams because the Lions have – you set aside the X's and O's. The Lions are carrying that magic with them, and they seem to be the darlings now, and there's just kind of like a collective will that people want to see the Lions get to the Super Bowl because it never happened before. And, you know, does that vibe carry with them – when they are the visiting team in a game like this. Maybe it does, and maybe it does make a difference. Maybe they feel like they're the team of destiny this year to get there and win it. That could help too, but yeah, seven and a half seems like a lot. Seven and a half seems like a lot. I think the Lions are not going to go quietly. One of the reasons, Mike, why I think this game
2: could be a track meet of some sort is that there aren't many games played in the United States On January twenty eighth, where it's gonna be seventy-one degrees and mostly sunny. But that's the forecast to kickoff in Santa Clara, California on Sunday. So I mean, enjoy the game, everybody, and look longingly at this game from where you are in the darkness, wherever you are, and the mist and the and the and the rain or whatever your weather is going to be, but I don't think the weather is going to be a factor other than a factor that the
0: offenses are going to be delighted by. Yeah, it's going to be one of those games that starts in daylight and slowly gets dark and it becomes a night game by the time it's done. Both games Sunday should be awesome. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, it wasn't just the Falcons in the NFC South that got a new head coach yesterday. The Panthers have their new coach as well. We'll talk about Dave Canales going from the Bucs to the Panthers when PFT Live continues right after this.
1: Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines.
0: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you, if you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because
1: we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So, set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
0: Dave Canales, after one year, and only one year as offensive coordinator of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, becomes head coach of the Carolina Panthers. This was a job for which there was no clear front runner because people didn't know who was going to want to go work for david tepper and when you see the reports of a six-year deal teams give out six-year deals when they're trying to change the narrative that we fire a lot of coaches and we're not stable and we're dysfunctional look at how tepper has gone through coaches both with his football team and his soccer team and it doesn't keep him from firing canales during his first season if he chooses to but he's going to owe him a lot of money if he does peter You know, a couple of observations here. Okay, so America doesn't know
2: Dave Canales, and I I don't know him either, really. But the one thing that I think, and I'm going to underline this word because you shouldn't use this word lightly, but the one thing I believe is urgent, capital U, capital R, G-E-N-T, is that David Tepper hands this team... To this new head coach, and he says, I'm gonna stay out of the way, and I want you to repair Bryce Young. Okay, but because let's let's just see. Here's what you're thinking right now if you're Bryce Young. Nine months ago this week, you're Bryce Young, you were drafted to be a Carolina Panther. First pick in the draft. Nine months ago, and at that time. Your head coach is Frank Reich. Your offensive coordinator is Thomas Brown. Your offensive assistant, you know, sort of uh, the cooking the broth is Jim Caldwell. Your quarterback coach is Josh McCown. So that happens and that stays that way for most of the season. And then Frank Reich is the offensive play caller. Then he hands it to Thomas Brown. Then he takes it back. Then he gets fired. Thomas Brown takes play calling back. That's how you last the rest of the season. At the end of the season, everybody gets blown out. They're all gone. So now you have a new head coach. So you have almost, you've done as much as you could to ruin the first pick in the draft. First, by not having a good enough offensive line to keep him from running for his life on every pass snap in 2023. But you've done enough to damage him in the absolute yo-yoing of a coaching staff and of play calling, of play designing. What you have to do right now is say to Dave Canales, listen. You're the guy, you pick the staff, you handle this guy, you repair the most important person in this franchise. This is your job. And that's what David Tepper had to do when he gave him the six-year contract. It was a smart move. Quite frankly, it was the only move.
0: And Canales has the history of working with shorter quarterbacks. Russell Wilson in Seattle – Baker Mayfield this year in Tampa Bay. And now he's the guy who's going to be charged with fixing Bryce Young. And we'll, we'll see how it goes. You, you also take a little away from Tampa. You take away their offensive coordinator who worked very well with ba- Baker Mayfield. They have to start over. That, that's a net gain for you as the Panthers if it works out. But we'll just see. Will it work out? Can Tepper truly take a step back? Can he truly stay out of it? And let Dan Morgan, the new GM of the team, and Canales, the new head coach, work together without Tepper constantly interfering. I know he means well, but sometimes the best thing you can do is to do nothing. The one thing we are all capable of doing, nothing. He needs to do nothing and trust the people he's hired to do their thing. Because no matter how much he thinks he knows, he doesn't. He knows a lot of things about hedge funds. Doesn't know what nearly he thinks he knows about running a football team. And the more he stays out of it, Peter, the better suited this team will be to reach whatever the ceiling is for Bryce Young. We don't know what the ceiling is. We just need circumstances where he can try to get there. You no know, question about it. And look,
2: I thought when they hired Frank Reich and paired him with Josh McCown in particular, I thought that was an absolute perfect pairing for a young quarterback. And the reason why is Josh McCown has been everywhere. He's been on whatever, 10 or 11 teams in his career. He is a great confidant for a young quarterback. And Frank Reich, he's always going to put his arm around you and say, hey, listen, it's going to be okay. We're going to be fine. We're going to get it fixed. He did it going back to Carson Wentz. I mean, he's done it in his career, and he's been very good at it. And so, the one thing that the book on Dave Canales is that is absolutely needed in this case you hear about him, and you hear teacher, and you hear patience. He's an optimistic person with an excellent personality to be a teacher. And his patience with his players. You go back to Pete Carroll, that's one of the words he uses a patient teacher, you know. And to me, that is what is urgently needed here. And Dan Morgan's job right now, A number one, nothing else is close. His job, number one, is to make sure that that offensive line is at least an average offensive line next year instead of a bottom-of-the-barrel offensive line that is going to chase your
0: quarterback from Charlotte uh, to Tallahassee. Another rookie quarterback from 2023 whose team wants to get the most out of him hired a new coach this week. It's Brian Callahan. We're going to take a break. On the other side, we'll hear from Callahan at his introductory press conference, and we'll hear from Peter, who spoke to Callahan yesterday. More PFT Live right after this.
1: I called Will a few days ago um, after I got the job, and then I saw him here today. He he was working out, so I got a chance to, to catch up with him. Um, I told him he's leaving town, I think, tomorrow morning, but he'll be back. But I've i really enjoyed getting to know him. Uh, I can't wait to get to work with him. He's got a lot of really special physical talents um, that I'm that I'm excited to go to go see if we can make better and um, everything about him. So far, has been fantastic, and I'm excited to get to go further down into it.
0: Brian Callahan, new head coach of the Tennessee Titans, did not get the memo that it's no longer suit and tie season when you're introduced as a head coach. Head coaches never wear suit and ties. The only time you should wear a suit and tie if you're a head coach is to a wedding or a funeral, particularly your own. But, but I, it's just, let them be natural. Let them be, let them be themselves. Get out there. Gerard Mayo got it right last week with the Patriots. Anyway, did the Titans get it right? Peter, we'll find out. They need somebody to get the most out of Will Levis. They get an offensive guy. I like the approach with offensive head coaches when you have a young quarterback, because That's your most important connection, the young quarterback and the coach who's responsible for him. You don't want it to be a defensive coach with an offensive coordinator who, if everything goes well, ends up being a head coach somewhere else. You want Callahan and Levis tied together for years to come. If it works, we'll see if it does.
2: I remember about 10 years ago being in Denver, doing something with Peyton Manning in his last couple of years, and the subject of his quarterback room came up and he goes, Peter, This guy Callahan's really good at a very, very thorough. So that just sort of stuck with me. And then the other thing that stuck with me about Brian Callahan, and I think that'll hold him in good stead, and I talked to him about this yesterday. In 2016 and 2017, in Detroit, he was the quarterback coach and Jim Bob Cooter was the offensive coordinator and back to back, Matthew Stafford, to that point, had the two most efficient seasons in tandem that he had ever had. Remember, at that point, Stafford was kind of, you know the Wild West shootout guy. But in these two years together, he threw only a total of 20 interceptions. He's way over he at a boatload, but but Jim Bob Cooter and and Brian Callahan sold, a veteran quarterback who already had a lot of pelts on the wall sold him on saying, Hey, listen, the check down is your friend. And if you can just throw maybe, you know, a few less interceptions, if you can do this, if you can be a little bit more efficient, if you can take a few less chances without ruining yourself and, and just think of doing the following things. And again, you can't ask a quarterback to play careful, but, Callahan told me we just tried to eliminate some of his mistakes that were definitely fixable and he's a great quarterback and I think he's going to do the same thing with Will Levis the one trademark I think we've seen early in Will Levis there is no throw that he's afraid of making or afraid of trying and I think coming into this year I think Brian Callahan is going to stress to him, listen, a five-yard gain on a check down is better than an incompletion 45 yards down the field, unless the 45-yard completion downfield is got a 30, 40, 50% chance of happening. So I think that's going to be good. The one other thing that impressed me about Will Levis. And, and this relationship that I think he's going to have with Brian Callahan is that Callahan has seen how it's done correctly with a lot of different quarterbacks, with Peyton Manning in Denver, with Matthew Stafford in Detroit, with Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. And I think that he's taken something from all of those quarterbacks Everyone, and he will bring it to Will Levis, and Levis has got to be all ears right now with Brian Callahan. So I I, I look forward to seeing how this works in this sort of collaborative way that Amy Adams Strunk made an absolute uh, mandate with this thing, and that's why Mike Vrabel is not coaching this team anymore. That he wasn't Joe collaborative, at least the
0: owner felt. Brian Callian's definitely going to be a collaborative dude. And Vrabel, a guy we haven't mentioned yet today. You know, I've heard his name as a possibility in Seattle, although people continue to think Dan Quinn is going to end up there as the head coach. I think that's a tough sell after giving up 48 points to the Packers a couple of weeks ago, but it's their decision to make, not ours. But Vrabel surprises me. 48 years old, has been coach of the year, had a team make the one seed with 91 different players on the 53-man roster, a record in 2021. Just kind of surprising that he's out there. But it could be kind of that same Belichick aversion that you got a guy who's going to come in and try to take over. You've got an existing structure where you don't necessarily want someone there who's going to try to take over. Look, you have to decide. Like, I thought...
2: Coming into this whole process, that maybe the most perfect pairing of all would be Mike Vrabel with John Schneider, and and I'll tell you why, because John Schneider is one of the three, four, five best personnel evaluators in the NFL. He is in his prime. He knows how to pick quarterbacks. He picked Russell Wilson, uh, and obviously they, he was good with. Geno Smith the last couple of years. And it's clear now that the Seahawks have to go pick a quarterback. And, and a lot of places I think that Mike Vrabel would look at, he's saying, Hmm, do I really trust the personnel side of this building? Do I really trust the general manager is going to put me in the best position possible? And it's clear. Now, John Schneider's running this show and what he needs is a coach who is going to run this building, not with an iron fist, but who's going to be tough when he needs to be tough. And in my opinion, if Mike Vrabel has a good offensive coordinator, a good teacher and molder of a new quarterback and a new offense, I, I, I love that pick because to me, Mike Vrabel, the best thing I can say about him as a coach Going back to the wild card game against New England, that was Tom Brady's last game as a Patriot, where they ended his career in Foxborough. Logan Ryan with the interception at the end of that game to close out Brady's career. Mike Vrabel gets teams to play a little bit better than they are. And that is why, to me, I've been, honestly, Mike, I've been mystified at this fear of Vrabel. You know what? Some people. Are really really tough people. They might not be guys who you're going to take to, uh, you know, the the the, you're going to have as as a speaker at the at the Elks Club or whatever. But Mike Vrabel is a tough, hardened guy who knows what it takes to win. I I would put him with Seattle and
0: not give it a second thought. He doesn't kiss ass. He doesn't play games. He wants to win that's an ingredient for a good coach if you as an organization know how to properly coexist with someone who just wants the team to be as good as it can be better than the parts would suggest and achieve great things we need to take a break who will achieve great things on sunday in the conference championship games show me something next here on pft live
1: your has got a lot of really good players, obviously, but maybe not oh, viewed with that. I said thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not viewed, though, as the superstars like maybe the 49ers have or other people All right, have. <laughs> oh, the
0: reporter giveth and the reporter taketh away. Yeah, you got some <laughs> great players, but not superstars like the 49ers. All right. Uh, Who will be the superstars? Who do we want to see step up? Who do we need to see have a big game in the conference championship round? That is today's show-me-something draft. Peter King, you're up. Show me something, Debo Samuel.
2: And look, Debo Samuel was a first-team All-Pro on the Peter King ballot this year. One of my three wide receivers on the first team. And the reason is, as he goes, so go the Niners. You saw them struggle when he's been – you've seen them struggle when he's been out of the lineup. He looked good in practice on Thursday. He is vital to what they do in their offensive game plan. They need him badly. Show me something, Debo Samuel. Show me in the NFC Championship game that you are a top 3-2-1 NFL receiver.
0: Show me something, Lamar Jackson. This is his moment. This is his opportunity. The MVP trophy is great. The Super Bowl MVP trophy is greater. You're going up against a guy who's played in the AFC championship game every single year since the year Lamar Jackson was drafted by the Ravens. And this is Jackson's first trip to that game. It's his first playoff game against Patrick Mahomes. It's his opportunity to show that he can play as well in the postseason as he does in the regular season. That he can achieve the kind of greatness that we take for granted with Patrick Mahomes. With this one game, this one moment, this one opportunity to differentiate himself on that afternoon from Patrick Mahomes. That puts Lamar Jackson firmly into the top three, maybe, of all quarterbacks in the NFL. And keeps him there as he attempts to to become a Super Bowl champion for the first time in his career. So show me something, Lamar Jackson. This is your moment. This is your opportunity. Show me something,
2: Jared Goff. This is your moment. This is your opportunity. You've played in a Super Bowl. It did not go well. You got sent away. You got sent packing by that Super Bowl team. And obviously, no matter how you talk about it, and how much you say, hey, one door closed, another door open, whatever, it's a slap in the face. Now, playing just an hour south of where you grew up, Novato, California, in Marin County, just north of San Francisco. This is a this is a time that playing near where you grew up, playing near where you went to college at Cal Berkeley. Doing this, taking a new team, your new team, and taking them to the Super Bowl, this feels right to you, Jared Goff. Now, you, all you have to do is go out and beat the team that you followed as a kid. Show me something, Jared Goff. Play
0: great in the NFC Championship game. Show me something, Nick Allegretti. Who's Nick Allegretti, you may ask? Nick Allegretti is the guy who's going to step up and take over for Joe Tooney, who's not going to play on Sunday, reportedly, due to injury. And he's going to have to deal with Justin Matabuke of the Baltimore Ravens. Not a happy assignment, not an easy assignment, but an opportunity to hold together that center of the line, to avoid things from collapsing onto Patrick Mahomes and flushing him out and getting him running around. Not that he's not great when he's running around with his hair on fire and making things happen, but that's not ideal. You don't want to have that pressure up the middle. You want to be able to hold the line, and you'd like to also be able to run the ball with Isaiah Pacheco. So with Tooney likely out, Allegretti in. Allegretti needs to have the game of his life if the Chiefs want to advance. Show me something, Nick Allegretti. And with that, we'll take a break. We'll do round three of the show me something draft right after this. All right, here we are, round three. Show me something. There are the results so far. Debo Samuel, Lamar Jackson, Jared Goff, Nick Allegretti, Peter King. Who do you have for the third round? Show me something, Mike McDonald.
2: Coach McDonald, the defensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens, this is the biggest game of your career. Your job is to stop a quarterback who has been in six conference championship games In six years as a starter in the NFL, you've got a very big job. And the biggest part of this job is that you cannot be too fixated on Patrick Mahomes. You better watch Isaiah Pacheco, because I think this is a game where he could touch the ball 22, 23 times and be the absolute key to this football game. Mike McDonald, show me something.
0: Show me that you're ready for this moment. Show me something, Brock Purdy. It was March of 2023 as the 49ers were dealing with the aftermath of a season that ended at the NFC Championship game. Purdy has an elbow injury, and Coach Kyle Shanahan tells Purdy, if you're healthy, you're the starter unless we can convince Tom Brady to come play for us. Somehow, nobody knew that that happened. Through March, April, May, June, July, and all of football season, nobody reported. There was no Sunday Splash report that the 49ers' plan A for 2023 was Tom Brady. We just found out about it 10 days ago when a story emerged on ESPN.com with quotes from Purdy himself telling the story. And even after that, it was ignored. It's significant, not because Tom Brady's walking through the door for next year, but if Purdy has a meltdown against the Lions, we know that Kyle Shanahan has a wandering eye. It already has wandered to Tom Brady. And, oh, Kirk Cousins is available unfettered for 2024. Purdy, this is your chance to slam the door on any talk, internally or externally, about the 49ers finding someone else. And your coach has shown a willingness and an inclination to at least try. So show everyone something, Brock Purdy. Slam the door on the possibility of someone else coming in and taking over. All right, Peter, we got 30 seconds. Who are your picks for Sunday? I'm taking the chalk and not feeling great about it. Give me the two one seeds. I got the Chiefs in an upset and not feeling great about it. And I've got the 49ers, but not covering. The one thing I feel really good about, the over-under seems low in Chiefs-Ravens. I think that's going to be a game where both teams are in the 20s. Hopefully, both games will have both teams in the 20s. And we will enjoy both conference championship games we hope you've enjoyed the past couple of hours peter great job as always everybody else we'll see you monday have a great weekend
1: the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well